1999, my father passed away. He passed away in an airplane accident. It was a real shock. He was about as old as I am now. He uh, loved to fly, so when he died, he was doing something he loved to do. I'm thankful for that. But the thing that happened in the days, weeks, months, years after that is I noticed just how much space, well, I began to notice just how much space my father took up in the world. How much space he took up in my life because I started missing things. You know, questions I would ask him. Things I'd want to discuss with him. He was a bit of a walking encyclopedia. He was a guy, if he was curious about something, he'd look into it. So he was likely to know stuff. <laughs> that was just one of the little areas where I noticed this empty space. The other way I noticed it was all the other people that showed up when he died. People I didn't know, of course. And, you know, here are these hundreds of people that come to the funeral and people who share this little word or that little story or this or that thing. And you see that he wasn't just taking up space in my life. He was taking up space in a lot of lives. This, uh, the last few weeks, we've had a... Uh, in my family, another occasion of this. My nephew, in case you don't know, is 37 years old, died in an airplane accident. My nephew followed in my father's footsteps to become an aviator in the Marine Corps. So he was one of those three Marines who perished in the accident in Australia. And this past Friday, I was speaking at his funeral service. Hundreds of people. His father and his brother and his sister shared their experience of life with Toby. And then uh, there were these two Marines who served with him, close friends of his that shared. And you began to see also there were, I don't know, hundreds of people showed up at this service. You began to see the reach of his life. One of the things we did on Thursday was the, his remains arrived in Denver. And so we, the family, we went to the airport to receive his body. And then there was a procession from there to his hometown. And it was a bit of a production. So uh, escort of 
police and uh, other men who had served and uh, these, and then the the car with his body and then the limousines with, with his family and there was this procession that went through the city and then through the hometown and all along the way this might get to me all along the way there were these people along the side of the road you'd see a fire truck and 10 firemen standing in front of it saluting as this procession went by. These are people who don't know us. And I don't know, probably thousands of people just took the time to be there and to express sorrow for our sorrow. And it, you begin to see his life had a long reach. Had a long reach. I have this question in your outline this morning, how far does your life reach? You actually have no idea how far your life reaches, but I think it's a good question. Toby's life had reach. At the funeral service, it was a testimony about Toby and, you know, what a great guy he was, but it was really a testimony about the Lord Jesus, who was the source of Toby's goodness. Toby's goodness didn't come from him himself. It was made in him through faith in Christ by the power of the Spirit. So his testimony for Christ was real and not just words. So his life had reach. And I started to think about this concept. And of course, I'm reminded of my father and I'm seeing these pictures of Toby with my father standing next to an airplane. And it's like, ugh. And to see that heritage. I thought Toby's life had reached because Toby's life had roots in Christ. And in a family that has its roots in Christ. And it occurred to me, uh, I've, I know my great-grandfather, a man named Henry Monroe, was uh, kind of a pastor. <laughs> he, ser he served in a church that didn't have pastors, but he was a preacher of the gospel, a teacher of the scriptures. I never knew him, but I knew my grandmother, who was his daughter, one of the most godly women I've ever known. I might even not to say, have to say one of, I might say the godly, most godly woman I've ever known who raised her children, five of them, one of them was my father, who was a faithful believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, whose assurance of his eternal destiny was entirely in his fellowship with God in Christ and not in his own merit.
but he was also a heroic person. But that comes from Christ, not from him. And I think, well, Henry Monroe was my great-grandfather, so he was Toby's great-great-grandfather. And now Toby's three children are being raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And this has roots that go at least as far as back as Henry Monroe. So I want to ask you to think about the heritage of your family. Now, obviously, Toby's family was not the only Christian influence in his life, and I'm, I'm only talking about one side of it, and I know the other side of it is similar. So that my sister and her husband raised their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And what I'm trying to point out to you is that has long reach way beyond your imagination of it. So I want to encourage you, if you have children, even if you did not have parents who brought you up in faith in Christ, that you bring your children up in faith in Christ, knowing Him as source, provider, Savior, friend. And that has long reach. So these people who were at this service, I was at testifying to Toby's testimony. Well, my great-grandfather, Henry, never met any of these people. But his life had long reach. When I was born, I was not expected to live more than about a day. I had some kind of heart thing. That was, in, that was a long time ago, so medicine wasn't as good as it is now. Now they just fixed this heart thing I have. Then they had no way to fix it. So I was not expected to live. But there were some people who gather, gathered around in church and prayed. Here I am. The Lord answered their prayers. I was healed. Here I am. I maybe have met some of those people, but I have no memory of it because I was an infant when I met them, if I did. Most of them have passed by now, I'm sure. And you certainly have never met any of them. They just did what the Lord led them to do every Wednesday. Get together, pray. Here's a need. Let's pray for that. Pray for healing for this baby. They probably didn't even know my name. I might not have had a name when they prayed for me. But those prayers had some reach because here we are today. Here we are today. And you, I hope, <laughs> you are 
receiving the blessing that is the response of the Lord to their prayers. I think heaven is going to be a big exploration of how the grace of God, or this is one of the things we might do in heaven, how the grace of God ties us all together. We might explore the reach of our lives. You might have said something to someone someday and it changed something. And you don't even remember saying it now. But it's been a benefit to them, an eternal benefit to them. Your life can have reach. Well, I was thinking about this, and I, it occurred to me this passage in First Thessalonians, the passage that we read earlier, about a church, a group of Christians in Thessalonica whose faith had reach, whose lives had reach. <clears throat> you can see this in, in the text we read. He says, not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia. Macedonia is like the county or the country that Thessalonica is in. So in Macedonia and Achaia, which is nearby, not only there, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we don't need to say anything. For they themselves, and these are people that Paul runs into in his travels, Elsewhere, people, Paul runs into all over the place, he says, everywhere. So we don't need to say anything. They themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned from God to idols, from, to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So as Paul traveled around, he would run into people. And you know, Paul was always sharing Christ. So he would share Christ with somebody, and somebody would say something like this, Oh yeah, we heard about that. We heard about that in Thessalonica. Those people loved you, Paul, and their lives were changed by your uh, proclamation of the gospel. So Paul says, wherever I go, I'm running into people who know about you Thessalonians. Their faith had reach. And I just want to think a little bit about this morning, a life with reach. Here's some qualities we find in this text of a life with reach. He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you. We're always praying for you and remembering before our God and Father these things about you. Your work of faith. Your work of faith. And your labor of love. And your steadfastness of hope. Does that... 
remind you of anything? Your faith, love, hope. These three things remain. Faith, hope, love, and the greatest is love. Paul's always talking about these three things. And he often talks about them together like this. But here he's sort of adding a a little thing. He's talking about their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope. And all of these things, faith, love, and hope, are in our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the quality of a life with reach. It has a working faith. It has a working faith. The faith of the life with reach, the faith of these Thessalonians, changed how they lived. This is one way you can tell it was real. Because whatever you trust changes how you live. Always. It can't do otherwise. If you really trust in something, that trust will change what you do. So when we say, when Paul says, I remember your work of faith, what he means is they do what they do because they know and trust Jesus Christ. We say it like this sometimes, if the gospel is true, what shall I do? If, what Jesus, if who Jesus is is who Jesus is and I know it and I trust in it myself, what will happen? What will I do differently? And I can think about this in any situation in which I find myself. In any situation where I have decisions to make, I need to decide what am I going to do here? I, I can't figure out what to do. I, want, I do want to stop and ask if the gospel's true, does it have any impact on what I ought to do in this case? For example, if the gospel's true, I ought to exhibit love in, on every occasion, in any situation. If Jesus has loved me so well, I should be loving. And if I'm safe in him, I can take the risks that are involved in loving people. Because loving people will get you into trouble. Right? You've noticed this, I'm sure. Loving people doesn't always go smoothly. In fact, it normally, I guess, involves some sacrifice or even suffering on our parts to do what's good for someone else at my expense. So faith that works asks this question, if the gospel's true, what should I do? I do what I do because I know Christ and trust Christ. He's my source of safety, security, emotional support, whatever, everything I need. And the promise of God is that in Christ, I have everything that I need, so I don't need anything from you. So I become a source instead of a sink. I'm not always going around worried about what are you going to, are you going to like me or whatever. I want you to like me, don't get me wrong, please like me. But when it comes right down to it, I have what I need from him, and so I can be bold in loving you. 
in doing what's good for the people around me. That's a working faith. And then he says, a labor of love. A labor of love. The quality of a person with, with a life with reach is they love hard. They love with all their might. Because they know how hard the Lord has loved them. How hard did the Lord love us? All the way. As hard as can be. He gave His life for us. So, a life with reach loves the people around. Apparently, my nephew, who was one of the pilots in this plane when it went down, acted in such a way that it spared the lives of almost all the passengers on that plane. He exhibited this love. Jesus said the, the greatest of all loves is to lay down your life for your friends. Well, you know, you don't, you don't have to die to lay down your life for your friends. You can just say, it's on me <laughs> this time. And you can take the cost of the benefit. Or you can just act for someone's benefit, even if it costs you something. That's this kind of love. And it can be simple or, you know, dramatic. Either way. Most of this kind of love is stuff you barely notice yourself doing. You just do it because somebody needs it. And, of course, if you're married or have children, then you have every opportunity for this within your family. To say... We will just do what needs to be done for the benefit of these people. In the fellowship of our church, if someone's hurting, the other people can gather around and share. One of the things that was really most dramatic in my own uh, mind was seeing these people who are strangers to me share my suffering. Uh, oh, you know, I've heard that suffering could be shared. What a thing to see it. What a thing to see it. It doesn't mean you got to know what to say. It doesn't mean anything, any big deal other than you show up. You show up. You engage in fellowship with people. You love hard because you know how hard the Lord has loved you. The third quality on our list here is an enduring hope. <laughs> an enduring hope. Life will get to you sometimes. Where's your hope? You cannot continue living without some kind of hope. You've got to have some sort of promise of a better and of course, in Christ, our hope is in Christ and in His resurrection and His promise of 
that resurrection extending to us so that he said to Martha at Lazarus' funeral, your brother will rise again. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, he'll keep living. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Now my nephew died. Oh, but no, he didn't. He is alive right this minute. And he's more alive than I am right this minute because he is in the presence of his Savior, the source of all life. So that is an enduring hope. I'm watching my family, myself, and especially my sister and her husband, as they endure this shock, this grief, this loss, you know how they do it? They have an enduring hope. That enduring hope doesn't come from them. It comes from God in Christ and by the Spirit who dwells in them. So my brother-in-law said, this is the biggest challenge to my faith that I've ever experienced. But the Lord Jesus Christ is not losing his grip on my brother-in-law. And so his hope endures. Not because he has the energy or the resources, but because God sees to it by the work of the Spirit in his heart and soul. An enduring hope. What we mean by that is you remember and rely on the promise of resurrection to get through whatever it is you have to get through today. Most of what we have to get through today is not this heavy, not that, it's not like we're gonna, it's, we don't lose someone we love every day. But whatever you've got, you have an enduring hope in Christ, a working faith, a laboring love, an enduring hope. You trust in His promises. Now, there's a few other things on our list here. We're loved by God. It says, we know, brothers, loved by God. That's really the source of all this, right? I don't produce a working faith in myself, but I'm loved by God. And then he says, we know that He has chosen you. I love this text because he says, God has chosen us, and then he says, how we know that. How do I know God has chosen you? How does anyone know God has chosen anyone? Well, it's right here. Because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. In other words, we know God's chosen you because you received the word of God in faith. That's how. That's how we find out. So they're loved by God. They're chosen by God. They've received the word from God as from God. This is how we know you're chosen. And they received the word with power in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Well, what does that mean? 
the Spirit of God worked in them to actually exercise faith in the word they received. That's how. And so they received it with power. In other words, some people hear the gospel and it like bounces off their heads. Some people hear the gospel and receive it with power, meaning it has its work. The Word of God is living and active. And so the Word of God, some people, when they hear it and the Spirit works in them, they receive it with power. They receive it and they know it and they develop what is called here full conviction. <laughs> this is an interesting word because it, it's like a little word stack here. It's this word that means fully persuaded, completely convinced, and then it has the word a lot next to it. So what Paul is really writing here is with a lot of full conviction. They really believed it. They trust themselves to it. They take it as true and rely on it because they know it to be true. When that happens in someone's life, that has reach. Because it changes everything. It's what produces the working faith, the labor of love, a steadfastness of hope. They receive the word in power in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Now, they also received the word we hear, we read here, you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Apparently, the believers in Thessalonica had hard lives. We know they weren't very wealthy because Paul had, we read this in 2 Corinthians, Paul tries to talk them out of participating in an offering that he's taking up for the church in Jerusalem who was like really having a hard time. So Paul's going around make, gathering up an offering for the church in Jerusalem and he tells the Thessalonians, oh no, you guys, you don't need to do this. You can't afford it. And their response, you can read this in, I think it's in 2 Corinthians 9 maybe, but uh, you can read about this. Their response was, so you're not going to let us participate in the offering because we're poor? <laughs> They're like, no, we're not having that. They gave anyway. They gave from need. You can see how a church that would do that would get this reputation. When they got Christ, things changed. How do poor people give? Because they trust that God will take care of them. Well, that's how anyone does it. I trust that God will take care of me so I don't have to take care of myself so I can give. If I see a need and I am moved to participate in meeting that need, I don't need to worry. I can express the love of Christ. I can count on Christ to take care of me. Does that mean he's going to put some money in my pocket while I'm not looking? Maybe, maybe not. He does that sometimes. 
Sometimes he's got something else in mind. He's got it worked out. So they received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. They heard the good news and they took it as good news. It made them happy because the Spirit worked in them to see it as true, to know that the blessing and grace of God was available to them. All they had to do was agree to receive it, and that's what they did. They received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, and so you became imitators of us. That's interesting because he says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. So apparently if you become an imitator of Paul, Silas, and Timothy, if you imitate them, you will accidentally imitate the Lord too. That's a life with reach. If someone imitates you, will they be imitating the Lord? <laughs> Here's what they were imitating, his faith. Here's the most remarkable thing about the Lord Jesus. He was a man of faith. He trusted God entirely. So Paul trusts Christ. Christ trusts God. If you trust Christ, if you follow Paul, you will trust Christ. That means you will trust God. They became imitators. And I think that extended into how they lived. Well, we already know that because he already said they had a working faith, a laboring love, and an enduring hope. But then, so they became imitators, and then you became an example to all the believers. You became an example to all the believers. An example of what? Believer. <laughs> Believer. You became an example to all the believers. This isn't about their moral behavior. It's about their faith. They trusted Christ. That did change their behavior. But that's how you knew their trusting Christ was real. And the thing you, if you want to imitate them, the thing you ought to imitate is their faith. Their faith, hope, and love. Hmm. So they became an example. So much so that the word of, he says this, the word of the Lord sounded forth from you. That is a very cool word. <laughs> sounded forth. It's like what happens when you ring a bell? You ring the bell and they, it sounds out. The word sounded out, rang out from these folks. All of these testimonies I heard about my nephew were gospel testimonies. That the word of the Lord sounded out from him. 
And that wasn't because he was working real hard all the time to make sure he always told everyone the gospel. But it was because his life was transformed by the gospel. Because he knew the love of Christ and you need to know it. And if he knows something you need to know, he'll tell you. If you come to me and you've got a question about how to do this, that, and the other thing, and I know, I'll, well, I'll tell you. And so if you come to me and you say, how, how is your life so strangely confident when you're in the midst of poverty or when you're enduring this heavy loss or when this or that or the other hard thing, there's some sort of joy underneath all your struggling what is going on? And if you know Christ, then you say Christ. If the Word of God has come to you in power and full conviction, then when life squeezes you, what bleeds out is the Gospel, the Word of the Lord. And that is reach. The word of the Lord rang out from them. And then he says, and your faith goes out everywhere. How you turn to God in Christ. How you wait for the return of the risen Son. The one who delivers us from the wrath to come. That Everyone's heard of. Like Paul is a missionary. He's going around to preach the gospel and he gets to these places and he finds out they already know about it because of the Thessalonians. So when he preaches the gospel to them, they already have the testimony of this faithful church that has prepared them to hear it from him. <clears throat> wow. People will hear of your faith that have never met you. That's reach. They became imitators, and by being imitators, they became examples. This is how the word moves. The two words here, tupos and mimetai. Tupos is the word for example. Mimetai is the word for imitate. Where there's an example and an imitation, that's how the word moves. I love this word tupos. It's the word we get, the English word type from this. Most of us here are too young to remember this machine we used to use called a typewriter. A typewriter was this little box with a keyboard, and when you struck the keys of the keyboard, a little hammer, tiny little hammer, came out and struck the paper. And in between the hammer and the paper, there was a little ribbon with some ink in it. And the little hammer had the shape of the letter. And so that's type. And what you did with that machine was type. And so what happens is the image that's on the little hammer is transferred to the paper type by hammering. This, this word comes to mean that because originally what it meant was to punch somebody, to strike someone. To punch somebody, <laughs> you 
most of you won't remember where this reverence come from, comes from, but there was this movie a long time ago where the guy said, that's going to leave a mark when he got punched or when he punched something. I don't remember. Anyway, when you get punched, it leaves an impact. You might get a bruise, but you will remember it one way or the other. So type is how the image is transferred from the example to the imitator. It happens with force. It often happens in affliction. The pressure. The pressure. You could also, they also use this set of words to talk about how they made coins. You know how they make coins? They might even still do it this way. I don't know, but... They put a little blob of metal in a thing called a die, the, the example. Put the little blob of metal, they put the other half of the die on top of that, and then what? They hit it with a big hammer. And the image of the die is transferred to the coin. So sometimes this involves some stress or pain or affliction or trouble or hardship or hit. And then faith moves. The word moves. You can read about this in 2 Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul's writing to Timothy to encourage him in the faith, and he says in chapter 1, verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. I have a testimony like this. I have a faith that dwelled first in my grandmother and my mother and dwells in me now. It almost rubbed off from them onto me. It wasn't without words, but with, it was with much more than words. That's an example and an imitation. Then he says uh, in verses 13, verse 13, this is 2 Timothy chapter 1, follow the pattern, that's the same word, example. The pattern, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Follow the pattern. Then in chapter 2, the first couple of verses, he says, Then you, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Doesn't say, you, my child, get your act together in order to do this. That's not what it said. Strengthened by the grace that's in you. That's what it said. In other words, you are not the source of this. God is in Christ. Strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I want you to just notice that in that one sentence, there are four generations of imitated example. Paul, Timothy, men entrusted 
who will be able to teach others. What we're doing in the fellowship of the church, in the shared life of Christ in the church, in the love of Christ that we all know together and that we know in knowing each other, what we are doing is imprinting the gospel on our hearts and minds and in our lives and language. We are becoming imitators who can serve as examples. And this is how it works from type to imitation. So I want to just close today by asking you this. What is your deepest desire for your children? What is your deepest desire for your children? Now, some of you, you know, your children might be as old as me, <laughs> uh, some of you, but uh, you can still have a desire for those children. Some of you have little children. What's your deepest desire? What I'd like to see is the beginning of a life with long reach in your family and in the family that is this church. What's your deepest desire for anyone else that might be looking to you? What do you hope they see if they see you more than anything else? And if we stop and think about it, it when we are believers in the Lord Jesus, the thing we really want them to see whenever they look at us is Him. Right? So in your ministry, in your working faith, laboring love, steadfast hope, relation, especially to your children, but also to anyone else who might look to you, you want to make Christ visible in you. And that means you want to ask the question, where is your faith, your love, your hope? Because you are not a source of these things. You're just not. You have them because you know Him. So they don't come from you. Well, I said you're not a source, but then you are but only as you look to Him. Only as you walk in faith. Only as you know His love. Only as your hope has His promises at its heart. Then you are an imitator who becomes an example. That is what I want. <laughs> that is what I want. My niece shared this little testimony <laughs> or this little quote uh, with me. Uh, she said, it goes something like this. You want the devil to have a party on the day you die. Because your life has an impact 
for Christ as a reach. Now, the devil might have a party, but the Lord Jesus gets the last laugh. Because you can die and go on living. Because even though you die, you're still here. Now, I think the devil thought it was a good thing for my gospel-testifying nephew to die. Well, he likes it when anyone dies. But I think he might have thought that was a good thing. But what I see happening is the powerful testimony that was his life is getting exploded into the world in a whole new way. Because the Lord is the Lord. Because the Lord has us all in his grasp. So I encourage you to live a life with reach. And what that really means most of all is to live a life that looks to Christ. That looks to Christ in everything. Father, thank you for your love, for your goodness and grace, for the Lord Jesus, for the gift of his life. Thank you for the gift of every person in this room, the blessing that we are to one another in him. Lord, I pray that we would be so captivated by the love of Christ that our family of faith would be like the Thessalonians, an example and a testimony that reaches beyond all boundaries. Lord, we pray for these things to be real. In Jesus' name, amen.